This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Carla Graves, Sean McDermott, April Thunberg, Megan Music, all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you. Yes, you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Sandra, thank you so much for sending me a copy of this book. This book is called Crewing for an Ultra Run Start to Finish. Sandra Bullock Smith, uh, you you hit a home run. This is fantastic. Thank you, Sandra. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, I have friends who have told me that they really like it, but I've been anxious to get feedback from people who don't know me. You know, that's the real litmus test there. Right, right. I know you basically from corrections and comments you were making during the interview I had with your husband, Mike, on, on his 200th, 100-mile finish, but I don't know you beyond that at all. As a matter of fact, this is the first time I'm seeing your face, so there's no reason that I would have to lie to you. What I love about it, oh, that's someone calling to book an interview is what that is. That's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> my agent calling. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. This is the absolute first. Um, but what I love about it, Sandra, we can talk more about it in a minute, but just it's so accessible like like when we're when we're ultra people and we've run ultras before you try to explain to non-ultra people and that's what can be the crew makeup for so many races like what to do Mm -hmm. and they may be like what are you talking like what are you talking about you're just jargon and things that don't make any sense your book breaks it down in such a way that it makes it so much fun there's fun stories there's mm-hmm. you do this thing called the highlights where it's almost like the it's almost like the cliff notes section before right, right. you get to each chapter and everything is laid out in such a way that when a family member gets dragged into this craziness they're going to have a lot of questions and i would mm-hmm. say that your book will answer all of those questions from they will be an expert in crewing um once they well you know my beta readers were were non-runners non-crewers and i really wanted it's like if you are asked by your son or husband or whomever to crew for you and you don't have a clue would this book get you there and um it was great testing it on that group of people because they gave me a perspective that i didn't have because i've done it so much like, what is a drop bag? I don't get the whole drop bag thing, you know? Right. And, and, and to you and I, drop bag makes perfect sense. But to someone who's not familiar with the sport, they're like, drop bag? Is there a bag I have to drop somewhere? Right. Does he pick it up? Right. Or it, doesn't, it doesn't make a lick of sense. You may be the understatement that you know what you're doing because you are you've had so much practice at it i don't, I don't know if there's many people on the face of earth, of the planet earth that have had as much experience crewing an ultra especially a hundred miler than you mm-hmm. before we kind of get into just tips for people like you know and, and kind of guide people along on what crewing looks like and how to crew someone i want to talk to you about getting involved with mike were you a runner before Mike came into your life? 
No, I've never been a runner. I, you know, at one point in my life, I decided maybe I should try. It was really back when jogging was the big thing. So I said, let me try jogging and see how that felt. Well, that felt like crap. I didn't <laughs> like it at all. And it was a social event for a girlfriend of mine. And, and we we go, you know, jog a little bit after work. And one day we got up to two miles without stopping. We went, okay, we can check this off now. It's done. We don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so no, I, I, you know, that's as close as I ever came to running. And I love hiking and backpacking, but moving at my own speed, which means walking is a lot better for me. So was Mike already running ultras when you met him? Oh, no. You know, we've been married almost 43 years and he started running ultras like in 2000. So mm -hmm. we've been married for a while before he started that. What were your thoughts when when Mike, who, who was into running before, did marathons and, and that sort mm -hmm. of thing? And folks, if you haven't listened to Mike's episode, it is worth it. Mike <laughs> Smith is an incredible human being. Uh, just his attitude, his vibe. I can see why you love the guy, Sandra. I can see it. He's a good guy. He's a, he's a great guy. <laughs> he gets into marathon running. That's one thing. When he came to you and said, hey, I want to start running ultra marathons, what was your thought? Well, he didn't come to me and say, hey, I want to start running marathons, ultra marathons. He said, I've signed up for this race in Colorado. Will you come crew for me? And it's like, all he had to do was say Colorado and I'm in, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what crew he was. It's like Colorado. Sure. <laughs> so that's how it's got started. It's like, you know, I've signed up. Will you do this for me? And I was still working at the time. So I had to work around vacation days and, you know, things like that. But I just, I've always loved the places that we go racing. But um, when he started, I had no idea he was going to be such a prolific runner. That was a, surprise along the way right you didn't know that first time around that would be one of hundreds of times no. <laughs> that you would, no. you'd have this the first time you're crewing and this is not like the sport is now you know and you've you've watched the sport grow sandra mm -hmm. from the crewing and and just the spouse side and the, and the support side but i'm sure those early races it's you and a handful of people in the middle of the woods, waiting for hours on end for your runner to show up, that yes. first crewing experience must have been just a heck of a day for you. It was, um, it was kind of terrifying, you know. It, it, the I really, you know, I tell this story in the book. There was a crew briefing after the racer briefing, and I knew someone was going to tell me what I needed to do and how to do it, and I was going to have all my questions answered. And I sat there in disbelief, going wear sunscreen, drink water, you know, obey the speed limit, which is all great advice, obviously, but that's not what I thought I was going to get out of the crew briefing. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to make it up and, you know, do whatever I can. And we had gone out to find the first aid station, you know, the day before, but it was still dark when I tried to find it. And we're there's a one of our friends crewing with me and we just kept turning down these dirt roads going it's got to be out here somewhere this is where we came yesterday and the whole race went like that it was it, it seems like we were you know chasing our tails trying to figure out where we were um, we didn't have you know navigation systems this is like in the early 2000s right and we, we just didn't have those kind of tools and uh some of the um race directions in the early days you just go oh my gosh you know <laughs> how did they come up with this 
Um, but yeah, the early days, there are so, so few people out there and um, no real good tracking systems and things have changed a lot uh, since then. Oh, yeah, you really had no idea. You couldn't, if you had cell service, we'd have, you know, phones cost $5 an hour, a minute back then, and nobody had right. the internet on their right. phone. But nowadays, you can kind of look and see, okay, when did they check in at the last aid station? You know, now there's so much live tracking and updating. But back then, you had to kind of, like, okay, last time we saw Mike, he was around this person here. So we've got, like, you had to time things a little differently. And, you know, I still do that sometimes because if there's a lot of times there's tracking, but you're out on the course and you've got no service to get to tracking. So it's like, OK, that lady came in 30 before 30 minutes before Mike at the last eight station. So if if all things are still equal, he should be in about 30 minutes. So there's a lot of different ways you can try and keep up with him, including calculating your pace. And if you ask me about calculating pace back, then I'd go. What? <laughs> you know, in fact, I was just at a race last year and sitting next to a lady who, whose husband was running his first 100. And I said, so when do you expect him in to this aid station? Well, I don't know. Well, what kind of pace is he running? Well, I don't know. I said, OK, well, let's talk. <laughs> let, me, let me explain you some things. Come here. Because <laughs> you can make this a lot easier on right, yourself. Right. Let Mama Bird explain some things to you. Come on, let me, come under my wing. Let me let me show you uh, how this is done. That first crewing experience, did you, did, you know, Mike finishes the race, you're done crewing. Mm-hmm. Was there a small part of you that, were, that was like, hey, I hope this is a one and done for him? Or did you have so much fun getting lost in the woods, seeing your husband for 30 seconds at a time as he's bolting by you that you wanted to do it again? I had real mixed emotions because I love being out in the woods. I love you know, trail walking, trail driving. I just like being out in, out in the woods. But that crewing is hard work. And, you know, you're tired and, um, you know, you're doing your best. And Mike Smith, who has one of the most calm demeanors ever, mm-hmm. can get downright snippy sometimes. It's like, who is this man? You know? so, <laughs> so we went through some of that, like, yeah, that's not working for me if you're going to talk to me that way. Just it, just real um, curt. Of course, he's all, he was all about, I got to get through here quickly. And I'm thinking, well, I have to do it right. And so we've got to marry this quick and right business together a little bit better, which was a learning experience for both of us. But I was fascinated by it. I loved the thought of going to these different places uh, for the most part. There, we've been there some races that n- never go back to as bad experience, but you know, 99% of them, they were wonderful experiences, uh, pretty places. Uh, and of course the ultra running community is so different um, than just you know a lot of sports because it's it really is much more of a community and you get to know the people who are crewing around you and you know, racers who are coming in around your racers. And so there's a lot of good to it. You know, the downsides of just being tired, dirty, (laughs) all that fun stuff, you know, anxious. Am I going to get there in time? And then having to deal with uh, things that go wrong. You know, one of the points that I try and make in the book is that you really have to be good at managing uh, time and chance because, you know, time is critical, obviously, but chance will rock your world, you know, uh, flat tire, bad directions, you know, uh, de- here's a good one, delayed an hour and 20 minutes because of cows on the road that no one could get off road. So it's just bizarre things that can pop up. So 
Um, and, and, you know, that I actually like the whole problem solving part of crewing. That's something I've always enjoyed. Um, so, yeah, I had, I had mixed feelings. I liked it. Um, but there are times it's like, yeah, I don't so much like this today. <laughs> I'll get over it, but I don't like it today. Right. right. Looking back at that first experience, what was the biggest mistake you think you made crewing? Assuming it would be easy. I mean, I, I just thought, how hard can it be to go from point A to point B and give him some water and get his drop bag for him? That just sounded easy. Right. And it's not. The logistics of doing that, especially when you are in, in a mountain race or a race where the driving is a little more um, adventurous than some other races. Um, yeah, you only have to drive 20 miles, but that 20 miles is going to take you an hour and a half because of the road situation. So, Yeah. As and as time went on, if you you'll learn this if you listen to the Mike Smith episode, um, he's dialed in his nutrition, but it's not normal stuff. Like you have to go find no. a KFC pot pie. Like <laughs> he doesn't make it easy on you, Sandra. He doesn't. He go does find not. me some KFC. I spoil him. You know he he has he can't eat um, dairy. He can't have milk or cheese. And a lot of the hot foods in the aid stations have cheese in particular because mm. it's such a good. You know, it's easy on your stomach. It's it's uh, relatively easy to make a lot of stuff out of cheese. Well, you can't do cheese. And so it just started out. Let me get him some hot food and um, like this. This uh, we were at Bighorn last week, and yeah. I experimented with homemade chicken pot pies, which. Um, and turn them into hand pies instead of in a in a bowl. And so I'm always trying to tweak it to make it a little bit easier, see how many more calories I can add to it. But yeah, he doesn't have the typical nutrition. And, you know, we eat very, um, in a very healthy manner at home. But gosh, all that goes out the window for him in a race. It's all about getting calories into him. People, I, I got to stop you right there because I don't want people calling you and being like, please, please, for the love of God, can you please crew me? Handmade, <laughs> handheld chicken pot pies. Chicken pot pies, like, yeah. Like, yes. Like, like, right now, everyone, everyone listening to this is looking over at their spouse slash crew people and going hmm did you hear that did you hear that are you taking notes for this are you taking notes handmade chicken pot pies um <laughs> there had to have been a point sandra where you know because he spoiler alert everybody mike did not give up mike did not go i've, I've scratched this itch one and done he's at is he at 205 as the the recording of this 204 as of this weekend yeah. 204 which means by the time this this is the this here's the light of day it'll be 205 or 206 that's just the way the way mike works which is uh, super easy but one thing i wanted to ask you sandra at some point along the road you started to develop a plan how long into crewing for Mike, did you start to say to yourself, you know what? I think I'm starting to figure this out. Uh, probably when he started doing like 10 a year and when he was doing, you know, one, two, three a year or something like that, no big deal. And a lot of those were, um, you know, easy. I won't say easy 100s cause there's no such thing, but easier. He didn't necessarily need a crew. But when he started doing, you know, 10 a year and there's his biggest year was 22, 22 yeah. races, 22 finishes. So when you're doing that many, you really do have to have a plan. And I, you know, I, I had this 
itch to be organized. And it, it really fell into one of my strengths to go, okay, how can I do this to where I can make it easier on myself um, in terms of organization and planning and deliver what he wants in terms of, you know, aid station support. Uh, I remember one time we're at a race, uh, uh, let's see, it was, that was Colorado, it's High Lonesome, I think. Yeah. And we pull in and he goes, I'm going to organize the car for you. I went, no, you're not. <laughs> you don't have to get stuff out of the car. You go run, leave it to me. I got it down. He goes, yeah, but I want this here and I want that. It doesn't matter, honey. Just leave it alone. Right. You're and the runner. So I kind of, <laughs> you know, you're the runner. Go run. Leave it alone. So, so yeah, when we started doing so many, not only was it about having a having a plan for him, but it's having a plan for me as well, because there's some of the races that, you know, I, I sleep out on the course at night. And I did that accidentally the first time because I was just too tired to drive back to where we were staying. And I just happened to have a quilt that I was working on. It's like, hey, I got a quilt, I got a pillow, I'm sleeping in the car. I'm not driving 70 something miles to the hotel. And it was like, that was like this light went off. It's like, hey, I can make this comfortable for me, and you know, enjoy. And you know, I, I actually like sleeping out in the in in the truck. We usually have a truck, sleeping out in the truck. But um, so the the whole plan, the whole planning process for multiple races led to what kind of gear I wanted to keep food warm or cold. What I wanted to stay comfortable. Uh, what kind of food I wanted so I didn't feel like I was eating just junk food all the time or wishing I had something to eat. You know, it just seems like I was always struggling with what what I wanted to have available for me and then how to have things available, multiple things available for him. Because, you know, with ultra runners, they, they'll go, oh, I really want X at the next aid station. And then they come in and you have it ready. They go, oh, I can't eat that. It's like, oh, I just want to kill him sometimes when he does that. But then I go, okay, if I were running, if I were at mile 50, I probably wouldn't want that either. You know, I've got plan B over here. Let's try that. So, yeah, getting into doing multiple races led me to to develop much more of a plan for each race. Yes. And it all starts with a pace chart, by the way. You know, it's like, where am I meeting you? How many times am I meeting you? What time of day or night is it? Uh, how far are we from any supplies? Is this a race that I've got to take everything in the vehicle with me? Or can I pop into town and get some things? So the pace chart is really my first planning tool as, you know, for crewing for him. It makes a lot of sense because when you when you have an idea, like you will know, and, and by by now, I mean, you've been married for 40 some years, you know Mike better <laughs> than he knows himself. Like you can look <laughs> at that pace chart and you've got an A goal and a B goal and a C goal. You can probably tell by looking at him as he comes into an aid station, okay, he's looking like he's going to hit A today or looking like he's going to hit B today or whatever. You can probably just see him and know and adjust accordingly to mm -hmm. the time you need. But it is, honestly, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Because even if even it is. even if you're like, oh, he's, he's looking like he might hit his B goal today, you still want to get there at A goal time just because in case he has a rally, you just don't know. So it is a lot of hurry up and wait. I'm always there at Eagle time, always. And um, he, he's gotten, as you can imagine, with 200-something finishes, he's gotten pretty good at figuring out his pace. So if nothing goes wrong along the race, you know, he takes the wrong turn or, um, you know, the, the race course is, is materially different than what he expected in terms of mud or rocks or something like that, then, you know, I pretty much know when to expect him within reason. And... I can. I also know when he comes in, just the look on his face, 
um, how big a hurry he's in. He gets kind of this little panic look. It's like, I got to get out of here quick, you know, and, and, I, and I know he's going to want to take food out with him as opposed to eating it quickly there. So we've, de- we've developed this routine. I get his, you know, whatever we're doing in the aid station and I just walk out with him and let him eat and I take bring the trash and bring it back to the aid station and, and yeah, he's spoiled rotten. <laughs> <laughs> Again, everyone's looking at their pacer and crew and going, why don't you do this for me? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you mentioned, Sandra, and I think this is the biggest mistake that people make when they crew and they pace. They don't take care of themselves. They are so concerned with taking care of their runner that they neglect rest, they neglect hydration, and they neglect nutrition for themselves. They don't realize that you're going to be out there for a day plus and that you really can't survive off of whatever your runner's not eating, you really have to almost develop a plan for yourself, a hydration, a rest, and a nutrition plan for yourself as a member of the crew. You do, and I I devoted a whole chapter to the self-sufficient crew, and and you really do have to plan for yourself, whether it's um, just the basics of eating and drinking or eating, drinking, sleeping, you know, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, I had breakfast with a lady from uh, Wyoming this weekend up at Bighorn. And she yeah. said, I, I was talking to a lady today who said she forgot to bring any food for herself out here. And, you know, it's kind of I, I can't imagine not not remembering to bring any food. But if you're new and you really are focused on your runner, and you're not aware of the the race course and the logistics of driving, and you may not realize that it's, you know, 50 miles over a mountain just to find a little convenience store. You know, we, we get very accustomed at having something 10 minutes away, mm-hmm. 20 minutes away. And a lot of these trail races, you don't have that. So, you know, planning for the crew and being self-sufficient and getting getting rest whenever you can get rest. I, I, I used to think, oh, I can just power through it, stay up the whole time. Um, but I, I was miserable. So it's like, if I got four or five hours, why not get a little bit of sleep, you know, get a little rest in there and then I'm a little less dangerous driving on the roads. Right, know? right. And, and it allows you to be more there for your runner because mm-hmm. as, as the day progresses, your runner's going to get more tired, going to start mm-hmm. not being able to make those decisions when they come into the aid station. And that's where they need you to be like... You don't need to make decisions because I'm making decisions for you now because right, right. I've, I've, I've had a couple hours of sleep. And that's kind of a lot of it too, Sandra. You really have to know your runner. And it sounds intimidating. Know your runner. Know the plan. Because especially late in the race, you have to make a lot of decisions. And you have to play almost therapist, coach, like mm-hmm. so many different roles when you're crewing someone that it's you really need to be on your a game you do you do and even you know simple things like um honey you really need to take a long sleeve shirt out with you this time you know you may be thinking i've got to get my shoes changed and i'm thinking it's going to be you know 36 degrees tonight and need an extra layer um so doing a little thinking form is always helpful and it's hard to do thinking for anyone if you're fatigued do you have it down to a science and I, i would guess you do that Mike probably knows at this point, you have been with him for hundreds of races. He knows that if you say something, does he just take that as gospel? Does he, does he have any, when you tell him something, does he just take whatever you say and roll with it because he knows 
or does he put up a little bit of a fight? I wouldn't call it a fight. Um, normally, the only thing that he will disagree with me about is that he needs to eat more or needs to drink more. He loves uh, you, you saw you heard this on um, his episode. He loves Milo's sweet tea. It's, oh, you know, it's you great know, calories. You have no idea, Sandra. Like, seriously, like that. There's certain things like certain episodes. People take some things from the episodes and, you know, mm-hmm. like there's there's running jokes and, and all of that stuff. Um, but you have no idea how much the Milo's sweet tea has become a game changer for tons of people. Like it's you, great. You think about yes, you think about Tailwind for example. You're talking about 3 to 4 dollars a serving for mm-hmm. that. Milo's is 3 dollars for a gallon and that's the California <laughs> prices. Tennessee right. prices it's 2 dollars for, you know, a gallon which will give you what? 5 or 6 water bottles full of Milo's oh, sweet tea? Closer to 8. Closer to eight. Like, so, you know, I, I take water bottles and make water bottles of Milo's tea. And one of the things I always try to do is get him to drink the whole thing while he's at an aid station. And he'll drink like a third or two thirds and hand it back to me. He's like, no, you need to drink all of this. And uh, I'll walk out with you till you finish drinking it. You know, he, he's, I don't want to carry the bottle. I'll walk out with you till you finish drinking it, you know, because I, I know he needs it. <laughs> Um, and the food is the same way, you know, I, I have a bowl of something and he eats half of it. And I just think that's wrong. You need to eat the whole thing. So, uh, he'll push back on food. Uh, anything else that I'm suggesting now, he, he, uh, my expertise is definitely not at his pay grade when it comes to what he needs for, for example, overnight on a trail, but, uh, he'll listen to me. It's like, okay, do you want, do you want a new pair of gloves? The ones you have on are damp, you know, whatever. And sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, but the biggest pushback I get is on food and drink. Well, I can't, I can't believe you'd ever say no to Milo's. Seriously, that was a game changer. And how he's not <laughs> sponsored by Milo's. Like, you have no idea how many gallons of Milo's were sold after Mike's And they're, they're wondering what, what's happened to you. <laughs> right, like, what's right, going on here? Right. There's, there's, some, there's some, uh, some boardroom somewhere and some guy's going, man, we have sold a lot of Milo's sweet tea lately. Guys, can you is, is has it been in a popular television show? Was this in Stranger Things? And someone's gonna go, no, it was on some stupid running podcast with some guy who talked about drinking Milo's sweet tea. I'll tell you though, man, oh man, that's if 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 this podcast ends tomorrow, right? And there's no more adventure jogger. The thing that I may have contributed to the community that will change more lives than anything is just having Mike on so we could drop the Milo's knowledge. Yeah. Like that could be, someone, yeah, he, he, he runs the uh, Mississippi 100. They added 100 this year. And he, he told um, Dennis Biznet, the race director, you need to serve Milo's sweet tea at your aid stations. This is Mississippi is like almost the home of sweet tea. So, yeah, we should be brand ambassadors for Milo's sweet tea. You really should. Someone actually someone uh, texted me on my personal phone. They were out on a run and they found they found a Milo slushy machine. There's somebody that makes Milo's slushies. So you got to get oh, Mike wow. on the Milo's slushy. Well, you know, that would give you a brain freeze if you tried to drink that one too fast. Probably so. right. But man, for a, for a hot yeah. weather race, man, can you imagine coming in yeah. with a Milo's slushy? Boy, that'd be the, wow. way, the way to go. So just please tell Mike that 
uh, Milo's owes him something. Like he gets a free <laughs> shirt that. or maybe a couple of gallons. Like give 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 Mike ten free gallons for crying out loud. But that was I'm sure that was something too that was trial and error that, that you, you experienced along the way. And at some point there was an aha moment for Mike and you with the Milo's where you were like, you know, this is actually working really well for you. Well, he used to have, you know, use a sports drink and he just got sick of it, you know, during race, just Mm -hmm. didn't want to drink it. And then he started to, instead of the sports drink, he would do um, electrolyte, salt tabs. And he's, he's tried a couple of other things along the way, but when he's, when he found the sweet tea combo with the electrolytes and um, I think they're sport legs, Oh my gosh, that was like the magic combo for him. And plus, he enjoys drinking sweet tea. You know, that's that's something we don't get at home. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're right. You're out in Arizona, right? Well, when I say we don't get it at home, we don't drink sugary stuff at home. You know, it's one of those those category of foods that we don't do that on a normal basis. That's race food. Wait a minute, Sandra. I think I just what? I just figured out why Mike has run over 200 100s. He's just in it for the sweet tea. He just wants to go to a That's place it. where he can drink sweet tea because he doesn't That's have it. it at home. He's like, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story uh, about getting things you don't get at home. I was backpacking with one of my girlfriends, and um, for every dinner, I brought um, freeze dried macaroni and cheese with chicken and extra cheese powder. And after like the third night, I said, I, I just want to confess, I didn't come here to backpack with you i came here to eat macaroni and cheese every night (laughs) so yeah there's a little reward in that (laughs) basically we've just discovered that hikers and long distance runners are really just in it for the food they can't have at home you know it's like it's like you know we're we're all just junk food addicts we all just want to sit around eat little debbies and 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 homemade pot pies and drink milo's tea but if we did that without running we'd be gigantic and so we're Mm -hmm. just mike is just doing this so he can have an excuse to drink sweet tea that's it you got him (laughs) i love that um gear for you what are three pieces of gear that you have found to be invaluable when it comes to crewing? My number one thing is a 12 volt crock pot. And I discovered it by accident. We stopped in a truck stop going somewhere. It's like, oh my gosh, they have a crock pot that plugs into your cigarette lighter thingy. And so I bought it and I think I'm on my third one now. So it holds about maybe a quart. Um, and I can heat up so many things in that. So I always take that with me. Um, I always have a, a really good small side cooler. I always leave my big cooler in the vehicle right. and whatever I need to either keep. I usually have two of them, one to keep something hot, one to keep something cold. And both of them tucked down into my backpack. Um, that way, you know, I have a my little backpacking hiking chair that's small and lightweight i have um my food when i get it hot i have his milo sweet tea to keep it cold i stuff all that in my backpack and head to the aid station so those are the big ones i have some other ways to heat things and depending on you know what i'm dealing with logistically i might use something or what kind of food i'm using i might use something different to heat food but that crock pot has been invaluable you may have just dropped a Milo's sweet tea level game changer minutes ago, Sandra. Um, 
the crock pot, the plug in your car crock pot. Yeah. That and is it gets really hot, really fast. It's got a ceramic insert that if you want to keep something, want to warm something up slowly, you can use the ceramic insert. If not, you take it out and you've got this really kind of hot interior and, you know, I'll wrap you know, a hamburger or a pot pie for that matter and set it right down there on the metal, put the top on it. And man, it heats stuff up fast. It's great. Well, you think about, I've seen so many people and you've seen this too, Sandra, out at races where they're trying to heat something up, whether their runner Mm -hmm. wants soup or broth or chili or something hot. And they get out these camp stoves that mm-hmm. I mean, that it takes a while to get going. They don't really heat things as well as they should. So then your runner comes in and they've got some scolding hot soup next to some freezing cold soup because they're using this tiny little camp stove. This crock pot, it's genius because it's plugging into your car. It's always on and you don't have to like set something up and heat things at the aid station and wait on it. You've got things that are hot just sitting in the car yeah. ready to go and, and, and you know i love i have a, a little camp stuff a little you know pocket rocket msr thing um but an open flame is you know another kind of source of worry you know cooking with cooking with gas um the crock pot holds heat really well and you know i, I can take it and get my food hot wrap it up in a towel or a down jacket or you know, it's just something to maintain the heat and it'll keep stuff warm for a long, long time. But yeah, I'm on my third one. That's how many, you know, how many, how, how much I use those. Genius. Everyone go out and get, get that plug in the car crock pot. That is a mm-hmm. great idea uh, for. And my new exciting thing that I just started last year, I found a battery operated bento box that, that uh, heats for like 15 minutes. So if, it's really good if you're if the food you're working with isn't really cold. You just want to get it, you know, a good temperature. It's great. Pop it in there, push the button. It, it's it's almost sizzling. It's so hot for 15 minutes, and it's a rechargeable battery. So I have a little power inverter for the for my car or for the truck. And once I use it, run down the battery. I just plug it into the inverter, which plugs into the 12 volt, and I can recharge it to use for the next aid station. So that's that's a really neat one. Depending on the food that I'm working with, um, the drawback to it is it is 15 minutes worth of heat. So if I need something a little bit longer, the crock pot is is my go-to thing. Because I think it's so easy to do cold because it's you know I mean they got Yeti coolers with wheels on right. it. You can get you know and then that all stuff designed to keep things cool nowadays. But really, the portable heat has always been a big obstacle, especially if you got those races where the temperature gets down to those mm-hmm. cold levels at night, where you're just it's not as easy to bring heat with you crewing as it is to bring cold right the um the bento box um it fits right into one of my coolers and it hold it holds heat for a long time too i'll put it in in a little kind of a lunchbox look lunchbox lunchbox looking cooler and stuff that cooler up full of hand warmers because you know they had had heat for hours Mm -hmm. and i can go sit at an aid station for two or three hours and and keep food really warm for when mike comes in that way i I go through a lot of hand warmers and space blankets they're awesome when it comes to insulating things and holding heat or holding cold 
What about for for clothes? Is are there are there certain things for you gear wise, clothes wise that you is your go to like your favorite? Like what what sweaters and jackets you found? Because I mean, really, you can go from it being eighty you degrees. See this? I, this is what I look like on race it on race day. <laughs> you've got that looks like a fishing shirt is what that is, and you got the that hats. is a that's a fishing shirt. It's bright orange, and then I, you know I'm, I am a very fair person, redhead, very fair. So I always have a big hat just to protect myself from the sun. Well, the benefit of that is I have on. I wear the neon shirt because I'm easy to find in a neon shirt. I'm really tall. I got that hat on. So I think it's important when you're crewing to make yourself visible to your runner. You know, we think of we're watching for the runner. You know, that's yeah. what we do. But you turn around to do something and the little sneaky runner comes in while you're not looking, you know. So I've ma- I make it easy for him to look around and go, oh, there she is, you know. So my typical uh, attire for for uh, crewing is a pair of hiking pants, um, a pair of Hoka trail shoes, my neon orange shirt, and my sun hat. I call it my uniform. And then, you know, the, the, the hiking pants are technical fabric. The shirt is stretchy. So, you know, if I'm sleeping on the course, that's really easy to sleep in. It's, it's comfortable. I can crawl into a sleeping bag and not feel like I'm being, you know, bound with these rough clothes. One of the so things. So they're multi-purpose. Yeah. Yeah, the pockets and everything, because it looks like the shirt and people can see when they buy it, which everyone needs to buy the book. Um, that shirt's <laughs> got all the pockets. It's nice having pockets because you have places to put things because you never know what pockets. you're going to need. The pockets mm-hmm. are your are your friend. Um, give us give us an idea of what it is like. A fast exchange where Mike's in for a short amount of time, a longer aid station, like what the process is is like between you two we'll start with if he's coming in hot he just needs you for he just he's gonna be in and out in seconds and then we can go to the longer stop what does that look like for you guys when he comes in um i will have already retrieved his drop bag unless we're at a race where every once in a while there's a race that they don't want you going in and getting drop bags or going into a runner area until your runner's in most of the time so you can just go in and get the drop bag so by the time he's coming in i have his drop bag i know when i'm gonna expect him in i know what he wants when he comes in so one of the first things he wants to do is reapply body lube so I have the body lube out. I have the hand wipes out so we can get his hands cleaned after that. And then it's a matter of um, it, any getting trash out of his vest, making making sure his water bottles are refilled. Um, food is typically the last thing. You know, I, you know, we get the lube done. We get his vest resituated. If he wants food to take out with him, we we get that in his vest. And then whatever hot food uh, that comes out last, we walk out together and I come back and deal with the aftermath, put it all back together. Like the, the bag, of our, our drop bag, um, I know I'm always going to be reaching for that bag of body loop supplies. So it's in a Ziploc bag with a piece of bright uh, pink fluorescent tape on it. So it's very visible in the bag. I, I can just grab it really quick. I don't have to go, is it in this one? Is it in this one? I know which one it's in. I love that. How many items do you do you put pink tape on so it's easy to find? One, the glue bag. Okay, that's just... You because just... That's, a, that's an always. We all, I know I'm always going to pull that out. 
So that's our fast exchange. Come in, lube, clean, clean out the his running vest, bottles refilled, um, food, walk out. And that's probably a five-minute exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, a long, usually if we have a long exchange, it's because he wants to change his shoes. And he can have some pretty nasty-ass shoes. And I have learned that... <laughs> I can get his gaiters undone and get his shoes untied a lot faster than he can. So the whole time I'm thinking, I'll never get all this dirt out from under my fingernails, but this is going to be fast. <laughs> so get that off. I have a little a little shoe changing pad. So when we get his feet out of the old shoes and socks, he's got something clean to put his feet on. And uh, then he, he uses Rangu on his feet. So get, I, have the, I have a whole shoe kit that is, or shoe changing kit that is in another bag by itself with a shoe changing pad, Rangu, new socks, new uh, arch bands, and, and a new pair of shoes. So a long eight station stay for him is, you know, 15 minutes if that involves changing shoes and getting uh, like this weekend, the, the race this weekend, we had a pretty cold night saturday uh friday night um getting clothes out to so that to make sure he has plenty of warm clothes for the overnight plus we had a chance of rain so making sure um you know there there are different degrees of rain jackets so the rain jacket that you just kind of need because it's gone to kind of rain and then there's a rain jacket that it's going to pour i really need the big rain jacket Mm -hmm. so making sure he's got whatever rain jacket for the forecast for the night so but yeah uh 15 minutes is a long time in the aid station for him one of the things we talked about earlier was the many hats you have to wear when you're accruing. And one of those <laughs> is therapist. There is times oh, yeah. when you have to talk some sense into your runner. When is the last time, Sandra, that you had to really play the role of therapist for Mike and prevent him from doing something that you, you know he would regret the second he went into the hotel room and laid on the bed? Well, you know, I I think I said this in Mike's episode that he suffers well. You know, I I coined that phrase and it's so it's so perfect for ultra runners. I think the ones who suffer well, that can get through it mentally as well as physically are going to be much more successful. So it's rarely a situation where I'm trying to talk him out of like quitting because quitting is not in his vocabulary. Mm. The last time that I really tried to pe- play therapist with him, I was I, I failed at it. We were at a race where it had never stopped raining. It rained and rained and rained. And he was standing at the aid station, shivering uncontrollably. And, you know, fortunately we were up under a little pavilion area so we could get him out of the rain. And it's like, do you want to change clothes? No, I just need to keep going. And he can barely talk because he's shivering so much. I went, no, you don't need to keep going. This is insanity. You need to stop. I need to get you back to the hotel, get you in a hot tub. This is this is dangerous. This is silly. And he goes, no, I, I just got to keep moving. I, I just kept pushing it. You have, you know, 40 more miles of this. And I just looked at the radar and it's going to rain for at least two more days here. And no, just get me some hot food. I'll be able to go. And, you know, he finished that race. I was wrong. But it's it's really hard when you're watching them suffer like that and hoping that they're making the right decision on going on. And in his case, he made the right decision, but uh, it's not easy to see. One thing, too, I think, especially for this is for for spouses, when you're crewing your Mm -hmm. spouse, 
it was probably hard. You talked a little bit about this, about Mike being snippy and being a little curt, not the Mike that you were used to at home. Like, who is this person? Why am I, right. why am I crewing this person? Why am I waiting on this person hand and foot uh, through the woods all day? Talk a bit about what the relationship dynamic or just what to expect from your runner and how do you deal with your runner when they're not doing so well and they're not the person that, that, that you know when they're not 70 miles in. You know, you just, as a crew member, you have to take the high road with that. And that that was hard for me to do. It's like, you getting snippy with me, I'm going home. You know, that's, we don't have that. We, he and I have a very uh, even-keeled relationship. There's no drama in our relationship. And he's just, like I said, he's just a, you know, uh, it's hard to get him flustered or mad. It's yeah. a lot easier to make me bad than it is to make Mike mad. Um, but you got to know that, you know, they, they we're, we're all going through our own brand of misery during a race, whether you're crewing or running, but you're there to get this runner to the finish line. So you got to put your misery aside or your shock at Attila the Hun showing up instead of your husband and just, okay, take the high road. Let's go. You know, it's, you know, you just can't be affected by it, let's which flip. sounds easy, but it's not. It's, it's not. It's that you're right. No. It sounds easy, but it's not. Let's flip the script for a second here. You have the experience of crewing hundreds of races. What is one thing that you would, as a crew person, like uh, like us runners to know? What is something that is really important that you think us runners really need to consider when running these races and asking loved ones and friends to wait on us hand and foot? I don't know that a lot of runners have ever crewed a race. So they really, I don't, I don't know that they understand it's, you know, logistics can be challenging. Um, just trying to deal with everything you have to deal with to, to make a exchange successful, having the right food at the right temperature, um, you know, just being prepared and dealing with whatever chance throws at you. Um, I don't think they know how hard it is. Um, my, I have some people who have crewed with me who are runners, and, and they told me running is a lot easier than crewing. And then one of my uh, friend boys who read this book for me, who is not a uh, runner or been involved in the sport at all, when he finished reading the first version of this book, he gave me some bullets of, you know, here's some suggestions on the book. And the last thing he wrote is, I do not ever want to crew an ultra run. <laughs> and, you know, it's not for everybody. It's it's hard work. Most of the time, the runners are good at, at saying thank you and meaning it and, you know, and, and saying thank you to volunteers on the way out. It's very rare um, to see a runner who's really kind of abusing their crew. You don't I don't see that happen. But I think if runners did more crewing, they'd have a much bigger appreciation for their crew. Because it is a hard work. Good Lord, is it hard. It is. It's a thankless it job. They get the buckle and all you get is a lousy night's sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you get to sleep. Right. Exactly. Do you think um, crews can be too big? Because you see some. Yes. Like what, yes. What, what for you is the perfect number of crew people? So it depends on the race. And for me, so I've crewed by myself for so long that having another person with me um, 
if if they're good at you know following my lead and not getting in my way, and I don't mean that in a, a mean way, right. but I, I do things a certain way. I organize my stuff a certain way. Um, someone who needs to who needs babysitting and uh, oh, you poor thing, I know you're tired. We've been out. I'm not doing all that. You know, if you're tired, you just need to go home. I don't have time for you. Right. Um, but for one runner, for most races, one or two people is all you need. But the other thing you have to remember, you know, if you've got someone who's running their first 100 and their whole family wants to be involved, I think that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let them all come. But you don't send 20 people up to the runner area to watch the runner eat or change his shoes, you know. Right. Um, they, so and, and I've seen multiple person crews who just are stumbling all over each other. And it's more of a chaos than than being helped. When you do see a multi-person crew who really is dialed in, you can tell they had a plan and a strategy going in. And I, I mentioned this one one group that I saw at a race in uh, Utah. There are five people crewing a lady who was running, and they had it perfect. One was dealing with her feet. One was getting her food. One was talking about what clothes she needed for the evening. One was just talking to her, being reassuring and comforting, which is what she needed. You know, some people don't want to be reassured and comforting. They want the tough love version of crewing. But so that five person crew did great. They got off to the side to where they weren't in the middle and you're having to work around them. But most crews that big, especially new crews, they they don't know um, how much they can be in the way if they're not self-aware of what's going on there. It almost works better if everybody has a job because I've done races where yeah. you have five or six people in a crew, you know, and, and it's a hot race. So we have, okay, you are on cold water. So your job is going to be when the runner comes in, you take this sponge, you get as much cold water in it and you get that over their head. Your job, mm-hmm. you stick, you grab the bottles out, you put the bottles in, and then we always have we always have one person that's kind of the point, right? Like the chief of the crew, and your mm-hmm. job is to, you kind of delegate who does what, but it's also talking to the runner. So while someone mm-hmm. is, is, is putting ice water on their head and flipping bo- bottles out and putting bottles back in, there's one person saying, okay, where are you at? What is this? Blah, blah, blah. And kind of conversing with the runner. I think if everybody has a job, it's less chaos because you really, it's almost like a, like a NASCAR pit crew where you got people taking off the wheels and putting the wheels back on. Everybody kind of knows what they're doing in a NASCAR pit crew. And I think if you have a larger crew at a race, if everybody knows what they're doing and has a job, you're less likely to stumble all over each other. You're absolutely right. And and a good crew, a good multi-person crew is gonna be very much like a NASCAR pit crew. They, they do have their jobs. They, they know where to be, what to do, when to do it, and not to get in, to, in the way of someone else who's trying to do their job. Um, the best exchange I've ever seen, by the way, uh, Carl Meltzer, the, the the goat, the speed goat, Carl Meltzer, mm-hmm. uh, and his wife Cheryl will crew for him. He came into an aid station. I was I was crewing and pacing Pinhoti, and he came in. His wife was waiting for him. The great thing was is we were right next to her, so we got to chat with her. She's a wonderful woman. Her name is Cheryl. Mm-hmm. And so Carl comes in, and he runs right like she has everything laid out, just perfectly, like everything where it needs to be. He dumps out all the all the goo wrappers he, he, that, he's, that he's got in his pockets, fills up the goo, takes the, the water bottles out, puts new water bottles in, 
gives his wife a kiss and he's gone 15 mm-hmm. seconds. And it was funny because he wanted something different in a water bottle. So he's running, she runs and fills it up and then runs to catch up with him and then puts it in the belt. The whole thing, whole thing. Wow. Roll in to the kiss, to the bottle thing, 30 seconds tops. You know, she, it's funny you mentioned her because she was the first person I saw crewing who would lay out, you know, a blanket or a tarp or something. And it's kind of like put the Carl store out there, everything that he might want. And it was the exact same thing. He comes running in. We, you know, I wasn't next to her, but I was close by and he grabbed what he needed and kept going. And um, that really works for some people. And a lot of people do that now, Mm -hmm. either put up a little table or a tarp or something to where everything is laid out. Um, Mike and I, our little system of, I know what he wants, that works for me. But for someone who's crewing someone that they don't, don't know that well, or they don't have a good idea of what to expect, spreading everything out to where it's easily accessible is a good idea. I would think, too, that you, having crewed all these races, like you've got a pretty good friend group of just people that are just crewing their spouses or, or children. Like mm-hmm. you have to have, there has to be like, just a group of you that show up at a lot of these races. I mean, no one's racing like like Mike's racing, but mm-hmm. there has to be people that you have known over these years that you have just met at races, and you've probably shared great crewing tips with each other. Mm-hmm. We have, and uh, a couple of them were some of my beta readers because it's like I have the people who know nothing about this sport and people who know a lot about it. And, and I wanted input from both sides. But yeah, we have developed so many, you know, lifelong friendships from people that, you know, Mike has met at races or, you know, we've met at races or we I've crewed with them. And we it's like, oh, your husband did this one. My husband did that one. And we find out that they're in, you know, doing a lot of things in common. So, yeah. And that's that's like I said one of, earlier, one of the things about the ultra running sport is it really is such a sense of community in that regard you really meet people it's like you want to keep them this is great you know <laughs> right keeps coming back for more because you like love the people that you run into yeah yeah when it comes to pacers now you don't you don't pace mike but as you're you're the crew chief you're the one in mm-hmm. charge what are the biggest mistakes that you see pacers making when they're involved with the crew and then what, what advice would you have for someone who's there to pace? Um, you know, it's it's really important for the pacer to be ready the minute that runner comes in. And one of the mistakes that I see is the pacer, it's like, I'm going to go lay down and rest for a while because I'm going to be running all night. And then the runner comes in early and someone's got to go get the pacer out of the car. You know, it's that that's something I've seen. Um being having a good understanding of what you're getting into uh if you're running overnight with a runner you really need to understand that while the start line might have been 70 degrees the 50 mile mark might be 32 and you know make sure you know what you're getting into in terms of weather terrain you know all that kind of stuff um then of course having the nutrition that that you need to get going you know they'll come out and go Oh, I'm only running 20 miles. Well, 20 mountain miles is whole different than you know 20 <laughs> flat little trail miles. So you know, for the for the most part, though, you know, I found that the pacers are you know they're ready. Um, I've seen pacers left behind. You know, a runner will come in and go, 
I'm, I'm going to leave him here. Uh, you know, it, he's cold. He's, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so some of them aren't quite prepared or they're in over their heads. But for the most part, I think the, the runners, they're smart to pick a pacer who is not going to jeopardize their race. Right, because that's I mean that's a possibility. You get a wrong pacer in there, they get you lost, or they become mm-hmm. a liability. It's like do everything you can to not be a liability to your runner. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, are you hoping for three hundred? You know, uh, someone said I thought Mike was going to stop at two hundred. I said, "What gave you that idea?" <laughs> I don't know. It just sounded like a good number. I went, "Yeah, it's a good number," but. Um, he he's got 18 races this year um and when i did the math it's like by the time he's 73 74 he may be even as early as 72 he could he could be at 300 you know i I don't talk about it with him because that's so far off but he is just i think he's just so genetically designed to to this type of run that unless he has some you know, significant health issue or injury that keeps him from running, he'll he'll run until he absolutely can't run anymore. So 300 is not out of the question. Yeah. Is this something... We're not that, planning the party yet, though. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. The party that should be paid for by Milo's Sweet Tea, by the that's, way. That's, that's it. Paying for that party. Um, but this is kind of your thing. This is something that you guys seem to both really enjoy doing together, which sounds so strange that, you know... He likes, first of all, it's strange just to like to run 100 miles, but it's also mm-hmm. strange to to want to drive through the woods and spend all day just waiting for him to show up so you can give him food and, and take care of him. But you really seem to have found something that you really enjoy doing together. And as as I know, Mike's retired. I don't know if, I don't know if you're retired. but I'm retired. Okay. What a fun way to spend your retirement years. It, it is. Um, I'll tell you, when I first started crewing, um, I I wasn't as comfortable driving in the woods as I am now. Now you give me a four wheel drive vehicle and just turn me loose and I'm happy. Uh, I remember being at a race. It might have been the Bear 100. It was one of the mountain races and, and crewing by myself. And I'm driving down this forest road and I just thought if a Bigfoot exists, he's here. He's here. <laughs> you know, and it just was spooky and you know you just, I, I kind of go through this oh, i'll just shake it off and it's no big deal and you know I, you know I'm, I, I can get through this but i it was an evolution for me going from crewing by myself on remote back roads uh comfortably uh because it didn't start out comfortable it started out a little freaky for me yeah. um I, I grew up in florida we didn't have big deep woods like that you know it's like oh my gosh this is nuts and and now I love it. You know, it's one of my favorite things. In fact, when we were talking about, uh, he was up at Mesa's Hideout Race a, a couple weekends ago. That's in Colorado, and that's that's one of my favorite races. It's it's a, still a fairly small race, but if you as a runner want to test yourself in some mountains, that's a, that's a pretty neat race. And I love crewing it because it's a big national, or I think it's a national forest you drive through. Um, and so I told Mike that we had bad weather and I said, I'm going to, um, I'm going to sleep over at the sand hollow aid station. I'm not going to try and go back to the house. And he goes, Oh, I, I hate for you to have to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I looked at him. You do realize I'm the one who likes doing that. I, I like sleeping in the truck and he doesn't. So he doesn't, he 
doesn't get what how I like doing that part of it because that's not something he enjoys. In fact, he told me once he would rather run all night long than sleep on the ground. So we are miles apart in that regard. (laughs) How has these 200 races of him running and you crewing, how has it changed your relationship? I don't know that it has other than it's something we can do in common. Um, I'm not a runner. He is not a backpacker. He will go hiking with me, but his version of hiking with me is he runs the trails while I walk by myself. So I might as well just go hiking by myself. So, uh, you know, when he's not running, he likes to golf. I don't care to golf. So this is something we can we can do together and enjoy doing it. And it satisfies the parts of, of um, the race that each of us like. I love that. I, all I can imagine is you finally talking him into hiking with you. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll hike with you. I love you. Of course, I'm going to hike. And all of a sudden, his feet hit the trails, and he just does what he normally does on a trail, starts moving fast. And you're like, okay, well, that's done. (laughs) (laughs) When he first retired, and uh, um, I had already moved out to Santa Fe, he he moved out. And we're hiking up on our, our big mountain here in Santa Fe. So we got up early, and it's about six miles up to the top of this mountain, six miles back. And I, I told him, we, we've got to get down off the mountain early because it's monsoon season and you don't want to be up here when it's lightning. It's really bad. So we get to the top of the mountain. Of course, he's been running loose. He runs up a couple miles and runs back and checks on me. And so he's doing that. And I'm, we make it to the top at the same time, but I've done six and he's probably done 18. <laughs> and there's a, a little kind of jog out to another mountain. And he goes, let's let's go out to that point over there. I went, no, we really need to get down off this mountain. And he goes, oh, I won't take that long. And so we did. And on the way back down the mountain, it starts lightning. And I said, oh, honey, come over here. I want you to hold my hand. And he goes, are you that afraid? I went, no, if I get taken out by lightning, I'm taking you with me because I told you we shouldn't be down <laughs> off this mountain by now. <laughs> so, yeah. I love that. Uh, the book is called Crewing for an Ultra Run Start to Finish. Uh, where's the best place folks can, can find this book? This book um, is only on Amazon. There's a Kindle version and a print version. And I did the Kindle version just in case someone wanted it. But I think the print version is a much more useful tool. There's it's designed to write your own notes Mm -hmm. on every page. So if I talk about doing something some way and it gives you an idea for something else, you have room to make notes in the margin and take it with you and, and you know, write all over it while you're crewing. Share it with someone while you're crewing. But it's only on Amazon. So Amazon will have the link. The link is going to be in the description of the podcast. So folks, go click the link and seriously, buy this book as a gift. You are asking someone to dedicate a day plus of their time um, mm-hmm. waiting on you and 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 following you all over the woods, dragging your ass through the woods. The least you can do is give them this as a resource. It is absolutely worth every penny you spend. Um, this this will make anybody that wants to crew for you um, not feel so overwhelmed, and they'll do a much better job because of it. Uh, it's such a great book, and and this has been such a fun conversation. Sandra, thank you so much for taking some time and, and talking so and sharing stories. This has been a blast. All right, thank you. Wow, 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 wow